2021 is going to be a better year, and I'm looking forward to that. I know that you are too. I was sharing this morning at 7 a.m., and by the way, it's warmer now than it was at 7 a.m. It's a little chilly then. My toes are warm now. I was sharing then uh, the results of a study that uh, has been repeated this year. How many Americans, American adults, believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? How many Americans believe? Did you know more than two-thirds, 66% or more, believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That's good news. And it matters, doesn't it? Because the resurrection of Christ is not just a spiritual event. It is the bodily resurrection of Christ that matters. And that's very good news. But here's the interesting thing. Those who say they believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, how many have actually given their lives to Christ? And how many would say the resurrection of Christ makes it really matters in history and how much does it matter to them and in their own history and their own lives? Tim Keller is an author and pastor well known for talking to people who don't have faith in Christ about what it means to be a Christian. And he says one of, one of the objections or uh, common objections he would get from people over the years are things like, well, I don't like what the Bible says about sexuality, or, or I don't like what the Bible says about money. And he would ask them, he would say, well, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? Just jump to that. Do you believe, without even talking to them about their objection about money or sexuality, do you believe in the resurrection of Christ? And most of the time they would say, well, yeah, I think I believe in that. And this is what he would say. He would say, well, if you don't believe in it, then nothing else really matters. Why why care about what the Bible says about money or sexuality if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ? Because the resurrection of Christ is everything. And the other side of it is, if you do believe in the resurrection of Christ and Christ has risen from the grave, everything else goes along with it. Everything else in the Bible makes sense and is validated and confirmed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just a little bit of history that we like and we talk about on Easter. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is what the Bible is, was moving toward and talking about and everything that comes afterward. And if you say, I trusted Christ as my Savior, this is what you're saying. I've given my life to Christ because he has risen from the grave. And I believe that. That he's alive today. That was the Apostle Paul's problem. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul had problems with things that Christians believed. And he didn't like them so much that he was arresting Christians and and taking them back to be executed, imprisoning Christians. And then he met the risen Jesus. And everything changed. Because if Christ is alive, everything else he said, everything else the Bible said, fits into that. That's what matters. That's what matters. The resurrection changes everything. This morning we're going to return to our series at First Baptist Church in John chapter 6. So if you have your Bible, find with me the Gospel of John in chapter 6. We were there for a few weeks. Last week we came out for the wonderful Easter music and this week we're back in. So John chapter 6. Let me bring you up to date if you've not been with us in this series. We're talking about... uh, Clearing up the confusion about Jesus. This is a good season to, to say that, to talk about that. Uh, and we're using John chapter 6 for, for a particular reason, because there was a lot of confusion early in Jesus' ministry about who he was, 
about what he said, about uh, what he was going to do, why he was there, what he was teaching. And what happened is he performed the miracle of feeding 5,000. It's called in, in the Bible, but in truth, there were a lot more people than that because it was 5,000 men and then their families. So he performs this miracle. The crowd gets very excited. They follow him to the opposite shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they meet him there the next morning. And they start asking him questions about who he is, uh, what this means, if if he's going to take care of all of their needs. And there's an extended, winding, woven conversation in John chapter 6 in which Jesus responds to their confusion and their questions. Uh, If you track back through it, and I would encourage you to do this, There's actually five different questions that people ask Jesus. And our series is built around those questions and Jesus' responses to those questions because each question is born of confusion. And each time he responds, he clarifies who he is and says something new and striking and builds on what he's already said about himself. Next week, we'll wrap up the series, by the way, and we'll find that Jesus has moved into a synagogue in the town of Capernaum, and he has continued teaching there. And you will not want to miss the last installment because the way the people ultimately respond to Christ is the way many of us respond to Christ and to his teaching as well. If we don't like what he says, we turn around and walk away. But this morning we're going to pick up in the midst of that conversation with just a few verses that clarify for us who Jesus is in God's plan. Who is Jesus in God's plan? After all, what's the point of Jesus Christ? And when we read this, I want you to remember this is very early in Jesus' ministry. Very early in his ministry, and even early in his ministry, he says some very pointed, even difficult things about who he is and what it means to believe him and to believe what he says. So if you have your Bible, look there with me, John chapter 6. We're going to read just a few verses. Uh, John 6, verse 39. John 6, verse 39. This is Jesus talking, and this is what he says. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now look at verse 57. Verse 57. Jesus again. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Will live because of me. What I want you to log in this afternoon, or this morning, this Easter Sunday, is very simple. God intends for us to have eternal life in Christ. Jesus' part in God's plan is for us to have eternal life in Christ. And in that statement, God intends for us to have eternal life in Christ, underscore the word intends. God intends for us to have eternal life in Christ. Because you'll notice right off the bat how intentional God is in Jesus' description of what God the Father is doing. He is God the Son speaking, and he's speaking on behalf of God the Father and of himself. And he's describing even the decision that Christ would come, would die on the cross, And would rise from the grave. Years after he said this. That's what's going to happen. But here he's talking about it. And he's saying this. Listen to how intentional God the Father is. It is God's will, he says. This is God's desire. You ever wonder what God's will is? The Bible will explicitly state for us in several places what the will of God is. And this is one of those places. This is God's will. This is God's will. 
that those who would believe first would see him and believe in him, everyone who believes in him would have eternal life, would believe in his son. His son that the Father sent, that is Jesus Christ. He came on a mission commissioned by God the Father to come to earth, to live as a man, to be crucified, to rise from the grave, so that everyone who would believe in him, would trust him, would have eternal life. That's a very intentional statement, isn't it? Now I want to break down for just a minute uh, that part of it, that everyone who sees him, as we read it, and believes in him, would have eternal life. This is God's desire. This is God's will. So pay attention to this. First, it tells us a little bit about the scope of God's will. That what he's going to describe as God's will is for everyone. Everyone, regardless of history, regardless of past, regardless of ethnicity, uh, of economic level, education level, regardless of where you live, regardless of your skin color, any of that. Everyone, this is for everyone. This is God's will for everyone. And you would think, therefore, that God would just do that, right? Because we think about that, right? If it's God's will for everyone, why doesn't God just do it? God is sovereign. God's almighty. Why doesn't God just do what he's about to say is his will? Well, this is why. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in him. See, God's will in your salvation, in your eternal life, includes your response. It always does. God does all the heavy lifting. Then he says, you have to respond to him. That's how it works. Everyone who sees the Son. Now, what does that mean? Well, remember, Jesus is standing in front of and talking to first century Jewish people. Uh, and the term sees doesn't mean see physically. It means perceive. That is, everyone who realizes who I am. Everyone who sees me for who I really am. Who? The Son of God in human flesh. Not just another rabbi, not just another prophet, not just another religious leader. But who I really am who perceives who I am, and therefore responds in faith, believes in me. The term translated believe means rely entirely upon. But so that's why we call it this, putting all your faith and trust in Christ. Relies entirely upon Christ. For what? Eternal life. It's just that simple. That's God's will. God's will is that every human being, everyone, would respond once they realize who Christ is. See, that's the thing about the resurrection. Once you realize the resurrection, you are realizing who, who God is, who Jesus is. You can't say, well, I believe in the resurrection, but I don't believe he's the son of God. It's not possible. The resurrection answers everything, and it is everything, and it makes everything else make sense. So God's will is that everyone would believe. Now, I want to park again on that term believe, because... It means everybody can do this. And, and frankly, it has nothing to do with you going to church. Although I'm glad you're here. God bless you. Go to church. But you don't receive eternal life by going to church. You don't receive eternal life by, by being good, by serving in the soup kitchen, uh, by giving your money to the church. You don't receive eternal life any of those ways. You don't receive eternal life by your works or efforts. You receive eternal life by responding to what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. This is God's will. 
This is God's will. This is a very striking thing for me. And we could talk about this a long time. You'll be glad. I'm going to move on in a minute. But first, let's be sure we get it. It does not say this is God's will that you are a good person and God will accept you into heaven because you're a good person. It doesn't say that. It says this is God's will for everyone, regardless of your birth, your religion, your teaching, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of everyone. Everyone has the same opportunity to see Christ for who he is and to believe in him for who he is and what he's done for you. That also means that it's God the Father is fully invested in Jesus Christ carrying out his plan. God the Father is not going to show up one day and say, oh, you're the only one that doesn't need to believe in Jesus to receive eternal life. Everybody else, yeah, you've got to believe in Jesus, but Tommy, you don't have to. You're so good. God's not going to do that. He is fully invested, no, no offense, Tommy, he is fully invested in this one thing, that everyone see Jesus for who Jesus is and believe in him, rely on him, put their faith and trust in him for eternal life. Now, for the next few minutes, what I want to do is talk about the results of that eternal life, because that's what Jesus does. What happens when you trust Jesus for eternal life? And in this, Jesus drills fairly deeply. This is some thick thinking here uh, for Christians and well, for everyone. But notice he's saying this early in his ministry, so we can get it. We can get it. For example, first, what happens? What's the result of you receiving eternal life? By seeing Jesus for who he is and putting your faith in him. First, God secures your eternity. God secures your eternity. Jesus put it this way. That I, God's will is that you would believe in, in Jesus, receive eternal life, and that I would not lose any that he has given me. Now, the given me part goes back to God's will. God is active in your life. God is active in the life of every person Drawing them to Christ, but then knowing they need Christ, that person has to respond. This is a, a remarkable thing because God has done all the heavy lifting. That means when you trust Christ, God secures you for eternity in Christ. Again, not because you go to church or you're a good person, but because you say yes to Jesus Christ. It secures your eternity. That's God's will, that's God's plan. Eternal life, by definition, is eternal life. So if you receive it from God, God secures you in that eternal life. That's good because a lot of us would think we could mess that up. We kind of we think on the front end, we, we're, we're not going to come and receive Christ because we, we think we're a mess. Right? And then on the other end, we trust Christ as our Savior. And then we think we can mess it up and lose our salvation and have to start all over again. But see, on this side, God says, I know you're a mess. It's kind of the point, right? I know you're a mess. But if you will trust Christ and repent of your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ, you'll receive eternal life. So on the other side, while you're still walking through this life, I'll secure you for eternity. Does that mean we never sin? Of course not. Believers, you know as well as I do that we sin. It means we don't have to, but, but sometimes we do. And when we do, the Bible says that God is faithful and righteous to forgive us when we confess to him that we have sinned. So if you're, if you're secure for eternity, what happens, believer, if you, if you sin? Well, well, it goes like this. 
Now, I don't know about your relationship with your parents, but let's pretend you have a really good relationship with your parents. Okay? You got a really good relationship with your parents. And then you have a falling out with your dad. You just don't see the eye on you got You have a big falling out. Now, what that's going to do is that's going to disrupt what the Bible calls your fellowship. Your time together, your conversations, that weird and awkwardness when you talk on the phone. It, it doesn't go away until one of you confesses that it was your fault. Or one of you reaches out in love and says, let's work on this. The thing is, though, through all of that, your dad is still your father. That didn't change. That relationship is a biological relationship that will not change. Well, what Jesus is saying, you have a spiritual relationship with the Heavenly Father, that won't change. You can disrupt it by your sin. You can break fellowship. You can mess up. But God says if you confess that and come back, I'm already ready to forgive you and, and to move forward. So first, when you have eternal life, it, it secures, God secures your eternity. Secondly, God establishes your relationship. Your eternal life establishes your relationship. You know how personal Jesus makes this? This is why Christians say you can have a personal relationship with Christ. We didn't make that up. Jesus is the one that talks about it so personally all the time. In John chapter 14, he says, I go and prepare a place for you that I will return and take you to be with me. It's very personal for Jesus. He died on the cross for you. And God raised him from the grave. So you could have eternal life, and you personally must believe in Him. I can't do it for you. Your parents can't do it for you. You personally believe in Him to have eternal life. And when you receive that eternal life, you actually enter into a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. Now, all human beings are created by our Creator. And therefore, we have a creature-creator relationship with God. Right? But only Christians have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ and eternal life because of Jesus Christ. You've trusted Him as your Savior. And it establishes that relationship. Now notice what, how Jesus describes it in the passage we read. That you feed on Him. Now, two weeks ago we saw that Jesus is pretty graphic in this illustration of feeding, eating my body, he says, and drinking my blood, to illustrate the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It, it means you're consuming and you're consumed by him. He continues that illustration here when he talks about that personal relationship. You feed on me. Now, what you need to know is the way he phrases it literally is it's more a continuing relationship all the time feeding on him. You draw your nutrients from him, your spiritual nutrition. You know as well as I do that your physical body needs nutrients to live, survive, and thrive till it ages and it's gone. Your physical body must have nutrients. You know that? I know that. So we get hungry and we eat. God's designed us to get hungry, so we would say, hey, our body needs nutrients. And for me, it's pretty much every three hours. But we need nutrients. The spiritual life is very similar to that. The bread of life for your spiritual life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is ongoing all the time. You can't take anything Jesus says about your relationship. You can't interpret that by saying, I get up and go to church. 
occasionally, and that's my relationship with him. Or even more so, this being Easter Sunday, I show up at church Easter and Christmas. And that's my relationship with him. That's not a relationship. You know that, and Jesus knows that. So he says, no, it's not the occasional nutrition that you need. It's the constant nutrition you need. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is a constant, growing, feeding, living relationship. Spiritual relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. When you have eternal life, you have entered into that relationship. For how long? For eternity. For eternity. Not just Sundays, not just Mondays, not Saturdays when you feel like it. It's for eternity. You're now in in a walk with Christ and you get your nutrition from Him spiritually and you grow in Christ and you learn more about Him all the time. God has invested Jesus with that relationship. It's only through Him that you have that kind of relationship with God the Father and through Jesus Christ. All of that is true because, or we know it to be true, because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ validates and confirms these things to be true. Now watch this. Third thing that happens when you receive eternal life through Christ, God guarantees your resurrection. God guarantees your resurrection. Now all this time, Christian, you've been thinking, well, I'm good to go to heaven. That's my end game. I die. I live for Christ here. Even, Even the best of us, the best Christians here. You live for Christ here. You die, and the next face you see is Jesus. That's what the Bible says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're going to see Jesus. But the sad truth is, we don't realize how God talks about eternity and eternal life. God's end game is your resurrection. Every person in heaven is waiting for that just like you are. That's what God's going to do. Jesus' resurrection, the Bible says, was the first fruits. It was a taste of what's to come for us. It was the confirmation of Jesus' teaching. When twice in this passage he says, those who believe in me for eternal life, I will raise them on the last day. On the last day being the end, the consummation of the age, the resurrection of all humanity, Jesus will raise us on the last day. Notice this. Every time the resurrection of Christ is talked about in the New Testament, pick a passage, read it this afternoon. The resurrection of Christ being raised from the dead is in passive voice. That is, God raised him from the dead. He was dead. So God the Father, on the third day, raised Christ from the grave in that tomb. The book of Ephesians says that God applied the power of the resurrection. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is your eternal life power. That's what Paul says. It's the same power of God that raised Christ from the grave is eternal life power. So eternal life is resurrection. So God promises, guarantees that one day you and I will be resurrected as well. But look at this. Jesus doesn't say that God the Father will raise you. What does he say? I will raise you. It's a privilege of Christ's resurrection that one day He will raise you from the grave. You will receive a new body. In your eternal life, you will be completed at the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. 
it confirms everything. All the Bible makes sense. Everything is wrapped up in this. What we celebrate today is because of Christ and his resurrection. And God has invested all of that in this one person, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not buried anywhere. There is no place you can find the body of Jesus of Nazareth because he's alive. He's alive today. That's the good news of the gospel. He died. He absolutely died. He died on the cross for you and for me, for our sins. And then on the third day, God raised him from the grave. So we could have this conversation right here. So we could say with all certainty, eternal life is in Christ and Christ alone. The only question is, knowing that, how are you going to respond? Knowing that, how are you going to respond? Knowing Jesus' part, having that cleared up, that God's invested it all in Christ, that he's alive today, how are you going to respond to Christ today? In January, uh, there were some healthcare workers in Oregon out to deliver the Moderna vaccine, the COVID vaccine from the Moderna company. They were out to deliver that, and they got stuck in traffic in a snowstorm. An 18-wheeler had jackknifed and blocked traffic. It was snowing like crazy, uh, and cars were backing up. And they suddenly realized that if they didn't use what was left of the vaccine, it would expire. They had six doses of the first dose left. So with all these cars backing up, they made a decision out there in the snow and on the highway. The healthcare workers got out of their cars, each of them carrying a dose of the vaccine, and they went car to car to car, knocking on the windows, asking people, would you like to be vaccinated? It took 45 minutes to get six people to agree to be vaccinated. Every other person, they knocked on the window, and they said the people were nice, they were respectful, they just said, no, thank you. They didn't say whether they believed in the vaccine, whether they'd already had the vaccine, whether they liked the vaccine, whether they thought they, the healthcare workers were crazy. They didn't say, they just said, no, thank you, and put their window back up. Then five people said, oh, yes, thank you, and, and received the vaccine. Person number six was so excited he got out of his car in the snowstorm, took his shirt off to receive the vaccine and hugged the health care workers for finding him in the snowstorm to give him the vaccine. Now that you know what you need, how will you respond? How have you been responding? Maybe you've been to church all your life. Maybe you've been watching it online. And maybe you've been saying very respectfully, no, thank you, God. I'm okay. I'm a good person. I'm religious. I was born in a religious family. I haven't lied lately. Haven't embezzled this week. No, thank you, God. I'm okay. Or maybe you're a believer in Christ, and at some point in the past you said yes to Jesus. I believe that. God's raised him from the grave. You willingly accepted eternal life from Christ. But in the time in between, you've been getting most of your junk food from the world instead of your nutrition from Christ. And your walk with Christ is kind of stuck. And you've been wondering why. Now you know why. Because you're not growing in that intimate relationship with your risen Savior. 
like he tends for you to. But hey, maybe you're one of those people. You jumped at the chance. Yes, absolutely. Now that I realize what God has done for me in Christ, what eternal life means, that Jesus is alive today, how can I not say yes? And you lovingly, willingly, joyfully receive Christ as your Savior, and that's been the pattern of your walk with Christ. Good for you. Would that we all respond that way to Christ. The good news is on this Easter Sunday, you can start over. Say, you know what, Jesus, I want to start fresh my walk with you. You can start for the very first time. And I'm going to pray with you in just a minute to trust Christ as your Savior today. To believe in Him for eternal life. Now that you see who He really is. It could be that you've been excited all along. And this just reconfirms for you the depth, the joy of your salvation and eternal life in Christ. May none of us leave here and waste another minute not serving Christ faithfully. The risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray for us now. And I want to invite you to respond with me in prayer. If you're a believer, you know you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Reignite that faith this Easter Sunday. Leave this place excited, joyful, drawing your nutrition from Christ, starting over tomorrow, repenting of sin, confessing that if you need to. get to, And God, you know, God's probably already showing you there's something in your life you need to confess to Him. Do that. Do that. So He can forgive you. You can start over with Him today. Or maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do just that today. And in a moment, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And in that prayer, with you... I'll pray. We confess that we're sinners. We confess Christ has died for us. He's alive today. And you ask Christ to come into your life. To come into your life. Believe Him for eternal life today. And start a brand new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we are here this Easter Sunday, God, in praise for what You've done for us. And Father, first I want to pray for those who would say today, here on the grass, in their cars, online, yes, I know that I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I I stay excited about that. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was 10 years ago. Maybe it was last Easter. But they would say with me, yes, I'm just excited. But God, renew and strengthen my faith again. I want to walk with Christ. And Father, I pray for those of us who say, yes, I'm a believer in Christ. I know I've trusted Christ. But you know what? I haven't been drawing my nutrition from Him. I've been tapping into the junk food of the world, listening to other people and other things going on. God, forgive me for that. And then, and then Father, if you show us any sin we need to confess, God, I pray we would do that today also. That we would confess to you, Father. We've been not been walking with Christ. We would confess to you, God, that we have sin in our life, that you would cleanse us of that sin. Renew our relationship, our fellowship with you today. That when we leave this place this Easter, God, we be starting over with Christ today. And then, Father, I pray for that one who's never trusted Christ as their Savior. Today they realize they've been relying on religion. They've been relying on family heritage. They've been relying on their own good works or good things they do. Or maybe just ignoring you and saying, no, thank you. But today they realize they need Christ as their Savior. And you've invested everything in Jesus Christ. Father, with them today, I pray, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. 
And I know that I can't save myself. I've been trying, Jesus. I've been trying to be good. I've been trying to find hope. And I realize there is no hope but in you. So, dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You took my sin to the cross. And you're alive today. God raised you from the grave and you're alive today. So, Jesus, come into my heart, into my life. Forgive me of my sin. And I repent of my sin. I leave it behind me. And today I commit my life to Christ, to following you as my Lord and my Savior, my risen Savior today. Father, for all who prayed that prayer with me and all believers, God, who renewed their walk with you today, Father, I pray we would leave this Easter with a brand new, fresh start, that we would hammer out those commitments, God, nail those things down and strengthen our walk with Christ day by day as we seek to live for Christ every day. Father, we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.